What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Sunday service, the home of the Hostel Gospel. It's the world's shittest podcast, baby. We are back. 2022 is starting off with a banger. If this is the first time you've ever listened to the podcast, please feel free to like, subscribe, leave a comment, give us a rating. If you got a mate, tell your mate. If you got two mates, bruh, you're doing heaps better than me. Uh, so let some people know. Uh, my guest today is one of the uh, one of the best young comedians in the country. He's a prolific joke writer. He's a great performer. He's uh, making a name for himself down in Melbourne. Uh, it's Mr. Nick Shula. Enjoy. This is a parental guidance moment. Welcome back to the Sunday service. It's the world's shittest podcast. Boys, I have a very special guest today, a uh, prolific joke writer, comedian performing out of Melbourne. It's Mr. Nick Shula. Nick, how you doing, buddy? Good, Brad. How are you, mate? Not too bad. I think I thought I'd give people a little bit of um, context about how we know each other. So I think we yeah. met back in 2018. Um, yeah. Doing right. doing stand up in Canberra. Um, since then, you've you've uh, managed to go on and do the Canberra Comedy Festival, uh, Adelaide Fringe Festival, Melbourne International Comedy Festival, various clubs around Australia, the United Kingdom. Um, just got off the Outback Laughs uh, tour alongside Dane Simpson and Harley Breen. So, what I wanted to do today was just share a little bit of um, your journey with people who might not really know who you are and. If there's anybody who's interested in doing stand-up comedy, I thought they could learn a thing or two from you. Yeah, man, absolutely. Always happy to, to have a chat and get newcomers involved. Awesome, man. So, yeah, I really appreciate you um, jumping on with a dribble like myself. I've sent you some uh, some brewski money <clears throat> and you've popped out and you've bought something. What did you end up buying? No, I've gone. Uh, I've gone with the, the Pirate Life Hazy IPA. Okay, Perla. So, well, what we might do is we might slap this one here quickly. VB has given me total uh, freedom to use that, by the way. And You're I thought, full, full right? I thought as a uh, as a Melbourneian that might uh, warm your heart a little bit. I, <laughs> when I went to the grog shop today, I couldn't find the beer that you got. But um, when we were texting back and forth, I said um, Mountain Culture IPA. They've made uh, Mountain Culture's made an IPA called Colt, um, and apparently it's supposed yeah. to be the goods. And I said. Uh, if it's no good, I'd let your turkey slap me. So um, <laughs> that was that was the agreement, I believe. <laughs> so I've just cracked that. So I'll give it a little sip and we'll see how it goes. Beautiful, mate. It's not bad, and I'm pretty sure that's the that's that's the breakdown of every beer that I've had so far. It's just <laughs> not bad. So. Yeah, pretty good, eh? I'm not. A, I'm not Doesn't... a. Beer, I'm not a beer expert, but. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't tell you what the hops and the flavour and all that shit is, but um, would definitely recommend uh, the the Colt IPA. How does your one go? Good, very good. Um, it is 
very hazy. It's also 1.7 standard, so it's 6%. Dude, that's... So if you're, that's if exactly you're cracking what into this a bunch is. Of these, oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it's good. I, I like Pirate Life. They're um, uh, Adelaide-based, and I think they're still independent, but they're a big Adelaide brewer, and they make, they make a bunch of pretty tasty beers. Yeah, that's... Um... I've got some family that are over in Adelaide at the moment, but the good thing is that there's these little craft breweries are kind of popping up all over the place, and I think that uh, yeah, it's good that we've got we're starting to get like a little bit of a beer scene. When I was over in Canada, I kind of first got exposed to it. Um, yeah, right. When did you dip your toe into the craft world? Oh, um, well, coming coming out of private school. Uh, you're almost obliged to drink craft beer <laughs> as a kind of uh, just a natural wanker when you graduate from a private school. Yeah. Um, so, and being in Canberra, uh, as you know, there's quite a decent sort of craft brew scene. There's Bent Spoke, which does a whole bunch of very good beers in the capital. Yeah. Um, so we're quite spoiled in Canberra. So that a combination of being a the private school dickhead and having ready access to it That's um, it. <laughs> was inevitable. You're exactly right, man. I went to a, I went to a private school as well. Were you um, were you born and raised in Canberra? Uh, I, I did all high school in Canberra. I grew up in um, in England. I, th- I thought you did. Um, yeah. Because yeah, we'll get to you venturing uh, back that way. So we don't have to mention the um, the private school that you went to. I, th- I I feel like I may know it anyway. Um, but what was what was home life like? Uh, were your parents funny? Do you have siblings? Like, where do you reckon your comedic roots kind of started? It's, it's a good question. Um, so I'm, I'm an only child, so uh, I think a lot of it came from trying to entertain a myself and b my parents. <laughs> um, I have no background in performance or anything like that. My parents are very serious people yeah. um so it's very much uh for them it very much came out of the blue and i think that was true for most of uh my close friends as well when i first told them that i was doing stand-up so like are you sure that you want to do <laughs> like um, stand-up comedy comedy <laughs> yeah you're not funny um so yeah it was very much out of the blue um like i said i have, have no no, like theatre or performance or drama background. In fact, I hated uh, all of that stuff. I hated drama. I hated public speaking. I was terrified of public speaking. That's so school. funny. Yeah. Um, and now, like, people often say that, uh, like, the idea of getting on stage and trying to make people laugh is, is the most terrifying thing you can imagine. How, that, uh, yeah, that's so f- Everyone says the exact same thing to me as well. I'm like, dude, working at heights on a construction site mm. fucking terrifies me. Oh, man, no way. I yeah. hate heights. I'm <laughs> <a bit laughs> oh, dude, I was such a pussy when I was doing construction that the guys are just like, man, I think you should just try something else, eh? And I was like, yeah, I think that's <laughs> <laughs> I think that's for the best. Yeah, it was, Not for you. No. Nah, I, um, I, can, I can kind of picture you as a high school kid. I could, I could picture if we were in the same class that you would be maybe like the sly funny cunt that – uh, says something kind of under his breath to make his mate laugh, and then once yeah. they do laugh, they get in trouble. Was that you at school? Yeah, that was absolutely me. Just like little underhand comments to the whoever was sitting next to me. Yeah, um, yeah, just taking the piss out of 
the teacher or whatever was going on, but never trying to be like the class clown, the centre of attention, anything like that. Yeah, I didn't. I, that, you didn't strike me as that type of person. You, yeah, you struck me as definitely the, uh, the, the sly dog in the classroom. Um, yeah. Who, like, so at a young age, were you... Were you watching comedy movies? Were you watching comedians or anything like that? Um, did you have a favourite comedian when you were younger? Yeah, I always always loved watching stand-up. Um, I don't think you'll ever find a comedian that didn't. Yeah. Um, and comedy was always my favourite genre of movie or TV show. I, I was always drawn to it. And I'd always watch like the Melbourne Comedy Festival Gala each year on TV. Yeah. Um, I didn't really have like a, a particular favourite growing up, not until like I kind of got into my older years and started thinking about doing it. Okay. Um, but it, yeah, it was always, I was always drawn to it as a, as a genre. Yeah, for sure. I, dude, I remember like, I remember when, I reckon I was probably like 12, my dad, um, we were driving to the coast one day and he pulled out a Rodney Rude CD or, or cassette tape. And he's yeah. like, you're going to hear some funny shit on this, but whatever you do, like do not say it in front of your mother. So I was like, all right, the secret's safe with me. And then, yeah, that kind of started like the urge to just, I was like, I want to make my dad just piss himself. So I'd, 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 I'd learn all of uh, Rodney Rude's kind of like, uh, all these bits and and Cat Williams yeah. and Chris Rock and stuff like that, and I would yeah. just quote them like word for word for my dad and his friends, and I think that was how I kind of got like uh, you know the little bit of spark of maybe you know comedy was something fun that I could do. Um, I always did drama yeah. at school, and yeah, right. I think academically I was like I was kind of over school at the at like year ten. Um, mm. And but socially for year eleven and twelve, I wanted to go there, so I was just like, I'll just do accredited and and, and waste my parents' money effectively. But <laughs> the um, one thing I wanted to do as uh, was be a school captain for like one of the houses. So our school had eight yeah. houses, and we got to make um, like comedy videos for the athletics carnival and stuff like that. We had a major yeah, right. major fundraiser every year, and that was the walkathon. And for the walkathon, they'd generally do like a prank, like a teacher would get abducted at like the the all school meeting, or it's just something silly like that. And the year that ours was on was the year that swine flu was just going crazy. So we got the deputy, um, the deputy headmaster to like call an emergency meeting, and then was like, "Hey, the school's been identified as a hotspot, so like we have to shut down and quarantine." And the place like erupted. Like the boys were so happy. They're like, "This is the best news ever." And <laughs> we ended up playing like this video that just like punked them, and it ended up getting into the walkathon video. And everyone's like, "You're fucking kidding me!" So, so the school isn't shutting down. It was it was good, but um, after school, did you did you go down like the path of university or? Yeah, yeah. So I went to uni in Canberra. Um, Still wasn't doing comedy at that point, but that's kind of where I started uh, enjoying making people laugh in a more kind of group setting. Yeah. So it's like quite a close group of mates at uni. Um, and that's, yeah, where I got a taste for like, oh, I can make these people laugh. That feels pretty good. Yeah. Is there a way that I can do that on a bigger scale? 
Yeah. Okay. So did um. So what what were you what were you studying at university and which which uni did you go to? I went to ANU and I did science and law, which is um, a bit of a weird combination. I now use uh, neither of those degrees in my work and know very little about either topic, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I've written a bunch of jokes about what a weird degree it is. Now it doesn't make any sense with the combination. Yeah. Um, at but, least it looks uh, good on a piece of paper, you know what I mean? Yeah, it does. I mean, that's, that's let's be honest, what most degrees are. is just a checkbox to get to your job at the end. Yeah, so are you using your university degree for the job that you're doing currently? No. no. In a practical, like maybe the, the um, ability to like write persuasively and think in a particular way, but I'm not, I don't know shit about chemistry. Yeah, okay. Which is what I study. All right. Um, okay, so you said that you're so you're around like university age, and that's when you started to get like a little bit of itch uh, for stand up. How did it? How did it all come about? Talk me through your first like open mic night. Yeah, so I, um, I finished uni and I got my first kind of job out of uni. I was working as a journalist in a small country town in New South Wales called Cootamundra, oh, yeah. um, which was. Uh, I was very much thrown in the deep end, like lived in cities all my life and then just thrown into this country town. Like day one, I was meant to write like the front page story of the Cootamundra Herald newspaper. And I was like, what, what the fuck is What's even happening in Cootamundra to write a newspaper? Yeah. yeah. Um, not a lot is the answer to that question. Do you remember what you wrote? It was, a, I think it was about Greyhound racing because it was at the time when like Greyhound racing was, uh, getting banned in New South Wales and there's a bunch of greyhound trainers in and around Cootamundra so it's like a big story for the town yeah okay right. so like me having never like knowing nothing about greyhound racing was like day one writing about the greyhound racing industry coming to an end um it was wild it was a wild time I didn't like the job didn't like living in Cooter so I only did it for six months uh and then I Normally, like quite a friendly audience, which was 
good for me because my jokes were not good and the audience gave them much more laughter than they actually deserved. Oh, that's so good. Um, yeah, so like it, it was it was fine. Um, and then uh, I didn't do comedy again for a, a year. So it, it was that terrifying and that uh, stressful doing it that I didn't do it again for a year. Um, and then uh, I'd I'd started a new job that year as well so I was like focusing on doing the job and then it got to Christmas the following year and so I had time off from work Uh, and so I was like oh I'll start thinking about comedy and maybe writing some jokes again and then I went back to an open mic um, like at the start of January that year and then just got hooked and couldn't step away I was in from that point yeah. and that was yeah started 2018 and here we are four years later dude that's it's crazy that the first set was was raw like uh, you mm. know a few people ease in through like a open mic <laughs> night at a bar or something and that's just fucking jumping jumping right in the deep end um yeah hindsight terrible terrible idea but like but, really brave though and it's probably probably in hindsight like the best thing that could have happened because you're like all right well i've performed in front of 80 people like the first time that i've done it so you know yeah. you wouldn't be as scared to perform at some of these uh smaller bars um, yeah, definitely. i think every comedian has a has like a bombing experience or just one that kind of scars you a little bit um, do you have any, do you have any bombing experiences where like you just wa- like walk off the stage and you're like, I just ate the biggest bag of dicks and maybe, maybe this isn't for me. Like, have you ever had that thought? Yeah. Regularly. Regularly. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, man, I, I mean, I had gigs last week that felt like <laughs> but I think the, the worst probably, or actually no, I, I definitely know the worst. I didn't. Uh, London in 2020. Yeah. Uh, I was I, actually I was living in Oxford, which is like kind of an hour and a half outside of London. Um, and it was uh, so 2020, so the pandemic had kicked off, and I was in the British summer, so like things were kind of opening up, gigs were back on, but they were like few and far between. Um, and I got a gig uh, in London. There's a comedy club called up the creek uh, and each week they do a gong show so basically um, three audience members get given uh, like a card and you get uh, five minutes on stage the first two minutes you can just perform and then after two minutes if the audience members don't like you they'll put their cards up and if all three audience members put their cards up you just get kicked off stage so just play music and you have to get off That's so it's pretty brutal <laughs> yeah, um, and so I, I got this gig. So I travelled up to London, which was like it was like probably it took me about three hours to get there because I had to like, ride my bike, catch a train, catch the tube all the way across London. So it took me three hours to get there. I was first on the bill, so it was like MC and me. Uh, I was doing brand new material. Oh no! I get up. I get up. Uh, I do two minutes. As soon as two minutes pass, all three cards go up, oh, no. music comes on, I'm off stage. <laughs> and in those two minutes, I was just dying. Oh. I was absolutely nothing. And then 
I get I get kicked off stage after two minutes, and then I have to do the three hour return trip home. So it was like a six hour round trip oh, for two fuck. minutes of stage time, yeah. where I just died. The demons on that on that trip home would have got you. It's oh. it's funny, like people don't understand like some of the effort that you go to just to get stage time. Like I was explaining to my dad performing at Wagga Wagga. Um, with yeah. Dan Simpson to drive from Canberra to Wagga to perform for five minutes, and he was like, "You, you are such a fucking idiot! Like, why would you drive all that way?" And I was like, "You don't understand. Like, the crowd's awesome, and it's a really good yeah. room. Dane's a great guy. Like, I'll get to meet other comedians." And he's like, "Mate, you fucking, yeah. you've lost your, you've lost your marbles, dude." <laughs> it I, doesn't make much sense when you look at it from the outside. Yeah. No, not not at all. Like you have to really, you have to really kind of love the art form to um to get into it. I don't think that there's any uh, elevator that kind of will take you uh take you like there's no express lane for it. You got to kind of just navigate through the jungle with a fucking machete and hope that you uh hope you come across some yeah. some good stuff along the way that keeps you going. Um, yeah, so so obviously you've had the bombings, um, but then there would have been a moment where you're like, okay, well fuck, I can. I can actually do this. Do you remember like a big confidence boost early on that kind of made you be like, no, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to go all in with this and I'm going to really try to pursue it. Yeah. I think there are a few, um, and not, not even necessarily like big, good gigs. I think the ones earlier on that really, um, boost my confidence and made me think that I could do it would be like kind of random open mics around Canberra that were on like a fucking Tuesday night in some pub and people hadn't been doing well and then I'd get up and get decent laughs and like those type of gigs, I was like, oh, that that is almost more of an achievement than doing a really good gig where everyone does well and you do well too. Like that feels awesome, feels great. It's like but those a, ones where, like, it's just a, a bit of a rough average night, but then you have a really good set, that is a real confidence boost. Yeah, you, you win them over. It's like uh, when you hear people talk about playing golf and they play real average, but then they have, like, a few good shots that, like, makes them be like, oh, yeah, I'll come back. Like, when the crowd's not yeah. feeling it, and like you said, you can get get a few laughs in it, definitely definitely boosts you up. So you'd gotten, you'd gotten a little bit more comfortable. Um so what were, for anybody listening, what would be the, the next steps, like the next progression step? Did you look to run a room? And, and what? how long until you started to feel a little bit more comfortable on stage after starting a bit more full-time at 2018? How long did it start you to, how long did it take for you yeah, to start getting a bit more confident? It took quite a long time. Um, I think probably, probably a good two years or so before I was like less worried about nerves and like my performance and more focused on like whether the material works. That probably took two years, which in part is because in Canberra, while there are a bunch of good gigs, they're not that often. So it's kind of like one a week-ish. Yeah. Um, which definitely meant that it took longer. Like if, if I was in uh, Melbourne, for instance, back then where you can gig every night, then it probably would have been, I don't know, six months a year. Um, yeah, it, 
did take me quite a while. And I think also the fact that I have no drama or performing background and was very uncomfortable on stage when I first started meant that it took longer for me to get comfortable. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it did take quite a long time. I think you, I think you're right as well with the frequency of that. Some other bigger cities get to perform, like when you can do it every night. You know, it's like I, I know it's like kind of going to the gym or something like that. If you if you're mm. performing quite regularly, like you're building that that performance muscle, I guess you could say. Um, yeah, absolutely. So it was. I'm just trying to. I'm trying to get my timeline right. I think it was. Was it 2019? You made the Canberra Comedy Festival debut with the Three Blind Men as part of that. Was it yeah. that year? Yeah, that's right. And uh, it, yeah, it was 2019. And yeah. was that the same year you guys did Melbourne International Comedy Festival and Adelaide yeah. Fringe as well? Did we do Adelaide? I don't know if we did that. We definitely did Melbourne. Yeah. So, no, I think we did Adelaide the next year. But yeah, we did we did Canberra and Melbourne in 2019, the three of us. That's uh, myself, Chris Marlton and Taylor Coftry, yeah. two other Canberra-based comics. And we teamed up and formed a sort of trio and did a split bill <laughs> show at Canberra and then in Melbourne. For two weeks, which was, um, uh, which in hindsight, at least in Melbourne, we were like very, very inexperienced and fresh. Yeah. And like, there, there are so many shows like that at, at Melbourne. I think there's something like 600 shows during the festival and like 400 of them are just like amateur shows and ours was very wow. amateur. So, so how 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 did it all come about? Who was the was it Chris that kind of put this together and had planted the seed in um, yours and Taylor's mind and said, "Hey, like I think we we've got you know the talent to kind of sell out some shows here in Canberra and give Melbourne a crack." Yeah, a hundred percent. Chris is absolutely the motor behind all of it. Um, Chris uh, is six hundred years old, so he's running out of time <laughs> to make a career out of it, which is why he's so motivated. <laughs> um no, it's to Chris. He he's absolutely the motor behind all of it. He um he got us to go to Melbourne, he got us to go to Adelaide, he still is the reason I go and do festivals when I'll be like, oh, I'm not so sure Chris will Chris, Chris will get me there. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, so it was absolutely he he was it was the uh, the engine behind everything, because and and in hindsight, um, it's invaluable having someone like that because it is so easy to just be like ah, I'll not do this one or I'll uh, maybe not this year. But there are always even if even if you have a rough time at the festival, it's still a good experience. It's still really valuable stage time. You get to meet people. Uh, so yeah, just getting it, getting out there and doing it is. Absolutely the hardest part, but having someone like Chris who makes you do it is so valuable. So would you recommend to um, to an amateur just trying to kind of, you know, team up with like a, a bit of a buddy or find a mentor to go and do these shows with? Or would you just say, you know, if you've got yeah. another couple of amateurs, like you may as well just get in there and just kind of jump in the deep end? Yeah, definitely, definitely jump in and do it. Um, do it with mates. So start off doing a kind of split bill show with either like one other person where you do half an hour each or two or even three other people. So four people doing 15, three people doing 20, yeah, something like that. Um, a, because it means um, you can split the cost across however many of you there are, which helps because uh, 
successful that are not cheap. Okay. Um, B, because like when you're fresh, you're not going to have enough material to sustain an hour by yourself. Exactly. Um, and C, um, it just makes it easier. Like if one of you uh, has a shit night, someone else might have a great night. Um, and you can also, you can like rotate it. So if like, yeah, not experienced it, like being sort of MC rotated through, it just makes it so much easier and better while you're learning the ropes. Um, so yeah, and it's kind of the, the normal progression is the way I did it. So that, that first year, 2019, we were doing three people on the bill, so 20 minutes each. And the next year, we're doing two, so like half an hour each. Yeah. Um, and then next year, be be the full hour. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just I'm I'm curious to know what was it like the first time you went to the Melbourne International Comedy Comedy Festival, and you're sitting down there and you're like, "Fuck!" Like I watched this on TV, and now I'm, I now I'm fucking here. Like, what was going on in your in your head at that time? Yeah, it's it's so so good. It's such a good time to be in Melbourne. Like the city is just buzzing for the whole month. Um, and when you, when you do a show, you get an artist pass, which means you can just get into shows for free. Um, so so, and that's one of yeah one of the, the huge perks of doing it is that you can just go to so many shows and see pros doing it night after night after night, um, and you get to go to like the festival club, which is like the late night lineup shows where all the big names will drop in and do spots. Um, yeah, it's just it's bananas. It's so much fun, and like you just get seeing people that you see on TV just like hanging out at bars, having a drink, and then. They'll get on stage and do five, and then come back and hang on. Like it's it's insane. Wild. You, yeah, you you're fully immersed in the world of comedy, and you start to realise that, um, like they're just people doing exactly what you're doing. Like there is no real difference between them getting on stage in front of fifteen hundred people doing an hour, and you getting on stage in front of five people and doing twenty minutes. Like it is fundamentally the same thing, and you're going to the same bar after the show and commiserating and that kind of puts you on the same playing field and makes you realise and think, oh, this is something I can do. Yeah. And it must be just like, it must be cool just to, like you said, be immersed around all these people and then I can bet that, you know, a few conversations with some people that do it quite regularly and that are big names would just be able to drop you so many little gems of information You'd be able to meet other people and, and network in a way like that. So uh, it yeah, definitely sounds like, sounds like something that would be uh, worth it. it. It sounds like a comedian's uh, or wannabe comedian's kind of wet dream just to go there and hang out with everyone. Yeah, yeah, 100%. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's awesome. If, if you've never been to the Melbourne Comedy Festival, take time off work, get down because it's unreal. Yeah, radio. I'll um yeah I'll definitely be having a look at that next year and uh yeah trying to uh, trying to get a little crew together and see what we can come up with um I I, I always describe you as a a great uh you're you're a great performer and a great writer you've got great cadence on stage uh, you're very methodical and I just wanted to know um like what's your what's your uh like what's your process for writing a joke occasionally I'll be a bit wild and be like, I'm going to try figure something out on stage and just see what happens. But every time I've seen you perform, you're very methodical. Uh, what's your process bet- 
uh, of how you write your jokes. Yeah, absolutely the right word. Um, I don't do that, like figuring out that stuff on stage. That it's just not doesn't work for me. Um, like occasionally, uh, if there's like a crowd interaction or something like that, that might lead to something spontaneous. But um, yeah, my process is very methodical, planned, thought through, written out. Um, so I write uh, every day. I write for an hour every day at, at a minimum. Um, and I yeah, like write my jokes out as if there are a script. Um, and that just fits my style because I try to be as economical with words as possible and um, we'll make sure that the order of the words is right and that the particular word, like a punch word or a particular word in the setup is exactly right and I'll spend a lot of time thinking about whether a particular word or the, the order of the words in the sentence, the cadence is correct um, and then I'll, yeah, I'll write it out and I will learn it and then I'll get on stage and I'll try it and then if it's shit I'll come back and if I think the idea is good enough I'll try and rewrite it to make it work. But yeah, it is a very methodical like notice the grindstone grinding away every day. And you, um, you, sorry to interrupt. You hear a lot of a lot of the greats say uh, that the exact a very similar process where they make sure they write every day. They're spending at least an hour doing it. Um, where are you getting inspiration for for the jokes? Is it just things that you see throughout the day? Are you keeping an eye on what's happening in the world so it can be somewhat topical? Yeah, it's a bit all over the place. Uh, I do write quite a lot of topical jokes, um, so I try and stay across the news. Um, I don't, like, get that much just sort of random inspiration. Um, quite regularly, which is why I like going to gigs so much, is that I'll see a comic talk about something on stage, like a particular topic, or they'll, they'll even just mention something, some object, some idea. So, in fact, like, I was at a gig on Saturday where a guy mentioned an EpiPen, um, and I don't know, sometimes when you hear something that you haven't thought about as an idea or a concept ever and it sparks in your head uh, and then today I've been writing jokes about EpiPen so like <laughs> stuff like that just uh, being at gigs and hearing comics have ideas uh, or talk about topics and then you go oh that's an interesting topic what's my take on it stuff like that I do still like get kind of random bursts of inspiration um, but I also find that which is why I try and write every day that like a lot of it a lot of my hour writing is sitting like just kind of thinking like taking strange ideas and seeing where they can go or like taking concepts and coming at them from different angles and just kind of find something out of nothing uh, which can be very very frustrating at times yeah but um, does Yield results as well. I sometimes get random ideas in, like, in the shower, and I'll have to like stop and like, like I, I take my phone into the shower, like, with me all the time, and to to somebody yeah. it might just like to my partner, for instance, it might look like I've got something to hide, but my brain just <laughs> is going crazy, and then like at some point I'll have to jump out of the shower and like write something in my phone, just like a little note, and then I'll come back to it later, and I um yeah. sometimes I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I'll be like. 
oh, I've got this idea and then write it. And sometimes it's rocks and sometimes it's absolute diamonds. So it's <laughs> sometimes you, you wake up and you're like, what the fuck was I doing? What was I dreaming about? This is so weird. Yeah. What was going on? Yeah, I do the same. Like as I'm trying to fall asleep off and I'll like have an idea and then reach out and put it in my phone and then look at it in the morning and be like, are you fucking insane? Sometimes I do it. Sometimes it's a bit of a curse. So, like, I'll be sitting there at night and I'll have a premise, and then I'll like I'll start to like write the joke in my head, and then I put it down, and then I'm like, "Fuck! I just want to perform. I just want to perform this." <laughs> so, yeah, I, yeah, when, definitely. When I moved to Newcastle in at the end of 2019, it was a it was a bit of a roll of the dice. I had a job that was lined up for me up this way, and they ended up kind of backflipping on on an offer and. Somebody else had, had yeah. been given given a role, so uh, I spent basically nine months doing um, doing night shifts and just doing whatever I could. So I missed out on so much comedy. Um, yeah. And you see, like you, you hear athletes talk about, you know, sitting on a sideline injured and watching their team play. And I I felt like, yeah, you f- you feel like you're just missing a lot when when you're seeing this and you're seeing people do doing awesome gigs and stuff like that and. I finally got the chance to perform last year and then got one gig in and then the fucking lockdown happened again. So yeah, it's just, it's been brutal. I'm, I'm jumping up on stage tomorrow night though. So I'm, I'm looking forward to doing that. Yeah. Um, What is, what's the scene like up there in Newcastle? I've done, I've done one gig at a place called the Stag and Hunter, um, which was, which was a bar show. um, But the audience was great. Like, just happy just to kind of and I don't know if this was because of the pandemic and everything that was going on if they were just happy to kind of be out and about but good crowd no dickheads some of the comedians were pretty solid um had a few absolute shockers which you get at open mic nights um but just recently they've opened a they've opened the Newcastle Comedy Club so oh really yeah so I it's it's perfect. It's like a an intimate venue that probably would sit about 40, 45, 50 people maybe. Um, similar yeah. similar size room to what Civic Pub was, I guess you could say. <coughs> um, yeah, okay. So I watched Mitch Garling perform there last night, um, yeah. which was, yeah, which was good. And it just like, yeah, I guess it just inspires you to kind of get out there and, and, and jump back on the, on the horse. And that's where the open mic night is tomorrow night. So they're doing weekly shows there on, on Tuesday. So, um, it's, it's similar to Canberra in it, like where you've got, you don't get, have the luxury of performing every night. So, um, I think like what you said, it's, it'll be like a bit of a bit more of a slow burn to getting uh, a little bit momentum up this way. But, um, we love the spot where we're at with the, I walk across the road to the beach. So I'm quite lucky in that regards. Yeah, absolutely. I haven't spent much time in Newcastle, but everyone says, in fact, one of my best mates just moved up there, so I'll have to come and come and check it out. Yeah, for sure. Well, I've got a spare room up this way if you ever need it as well, and we can um, put you in contact with the guy that runs the comedy club up this way and try to get you some yeah. gigs as well. Um, to make a trip. In, yeah, that'd be sweet. In, in the summer of 2019 into 2020, um, I remember the bushfires had a bit of an impact on your family home on the south coast. How long was it after yeah. that that you were like, "Fuck it, I'm I'm going to go to the UK"? And what was the inspiration behind, you know, packing up and just kind of going over that way in 2020? 
Yeah, so uh, New Year's Eve 2019, uh, the fires came through and uh, burned the house. Um, and then three, no, two months, two months later, the 1st of March 2020, moved to London, oh. uh, which had been in the works for a while. Yeah. Um, that, that had always been the plan. Um, uh, and then we got to London, uh, my partner and I, we got two weeks and then the pandemic kicked off. <laughs> so we were immediately locked down in London, which was uh, not how we'd hoped uh, international move would go. Exactly. Um, yeah, so it was a pretty, pretty wild six months from like, fleeing a bushfire disaster zone, moving across the world and then getting locked down in a tiny one-bedroom flat in London for the best part of six months. So at one point we just thought, um, like, fuck, baby, this wasn't the best idea? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for most of the time. <laughs> well, actually, it was kind of weird because at the start of it all, like in kind of March, April 2020, no one like knew what was going on, how long it was going to last, what was going to happen. So, like, we had the conversation in, I think, about April. Like, oh, should we go home? Uh, and we decided to stick it out. Um, like, did the classic, like, pros and cons. Decided to stay. Uh, and the UK, um, well, it didn't really get better, but they, like, opened up in their summer, so the middle of 2020. So, like, we were able to do some stuff, travel a bit, not as much as we'd wanted, and gigs were few and far between. Um, and then uh, it turned out that opening everything up in the middle of the pandemic when no one can get a vaccine was not a good idea. Yeah. And the UK just went to shit again. Um, and so, like, as it got into winter there, like, things were looking real bad and there were, like, lockdowns on and off again. Um, and so we decided to, to come home. Uh, and we got back at the start of 2021, so like a year. In fact, uh, on Facebook Memories today, the um, memory came up of the day my girlfriend and I got out of hotel quarantine. That was a year ago today. That's crazy. Was, um, yeah. wow, a year ago today. So yeah. how long until you then moved to Melbourne? Uh, it was six months. So we got, got out of quarantine in January 2021, moved down here June 2021, so six months later. Uh, then got fucking locked down here again. Yeah, so, I was uh, just going to say, you fucking jumped back into the belly of the yeah. beast. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, it seems that whenever we try and move somewhere, within about two weeks, it just all goes to shit. Yeah, fuck. Uh, so yeah, we, we moved down here in... June and like when we when we were signing the lease on the place that we rented, we were like real hesitant. We were like, oh, we got burned in London, and it like at this time Melbourne had like a like a short two week lockdown, and they just come out. We're like, oh, not sure, might go back in. So we decided to sign the lease. Uh, then we had to go back to New South Wales, and we got trapped in New South Wales. Oh, no. And, like, the long lockdown. So for the last, like, six months, we've been paying rent on this place down here in Melbourne. And it's just been empty. It's been, like, the most expensive fucking storage shed in oh, the world. Oh, God. That's... Yeah, so it's been a disrupted 
what, two years now, but it's been coming. It's been disrupted and shit for everyone. So. Yeah, I don't think I don't think you're alone in having the last kind of two years disrupted. And I guess if you can laugh at that, you can fucking laugh at anything just about. So yeah, yeah um, absolutely. So you've you've performed at a few different states in Australia. Um, performed in the UK. What do you reckon the kind of key differences are um, in terms of talent of comedians and the taste of humour? I think sense of humour is broadly similar. Um, like both British and Australian comedians are quite self-deprecating and British and Australian audiences like that a lot. Um, in terms of quality of comic, um, London is probably an outlier just because it's chock full of like, some of the world's best comedians. Like it's insane the amount of talent in that city. Um, throughout the UK, uh, the, the UK is a really, really interesting comedy scene. It's potentially uh, the best in the world because it's such a compact country. There are so many sizable towns close to each other and often just some like random town of 50,000 people will have a professional comedy venue. Awesome. So you can make quite a comfortable living just touring around comedy clubs basically all year and you can perform at a hundred different places in a year and not ever like do the same gig twice. Yeah, that's so good. Um, yeah, which obviously like we don't have in Australia. Like in Australia on a Saturday night, there are maybe four or five venues in the entire country that will be doing comedy and will see more than like a hundred people. Whereas in the UK, it'd be 60 venues like that. Yeah. Is there, so, would there be any plans of kind of moving back that way in the future? Yeah. I don't like we've, when we, when we left, uh, we left, definitely left the door open because we, we really didn't get to do what we wanted to do over there. Um, so yeah, definitely open to the idea. I'm definitely keen to do the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, which is, the big comedy and arts festival yeah, in August there. over there. Yeah. Um, and I've, like I said, I grew up in England, so I've got connections there. Most of my parents spend time there. So I'll definitely be back there, whether that's to live or not. I'm not sure, but I'll definitely be back there and I'll definitely be gigging there again. Yeah, that sounds that sounds awesome, man. It sounds like a, sounds like a good plan, especially if you've got connections and I guess that – being born there kind of, you know, takes a, takes a little bit of pressure off getting visas and stuff like that as well. So I'm guessing you have yeah. a have a dual passport. I do. I'm Perfect. very fortunate. And what about your yeah. part what about your partner? Is uh she dual passport or is she, no, she need visa? No, she's not. So she'd have to get a, a partner visa or I don't know, something like that. Get a we'll do a do a shotgun wedding. We'll get her a visa somehow. Yeah. <laughs> That's one way to get around <laughs> it. Um Yeah. So you've just got back uh, just before Christmas. Um, you did the Outback tour with Dane Simpson and Harley Breen. What are, what were some of the highlights on going on tour with those guys? Oh man, it was it was so much fun. Um, so Dane and Harley, uh, if you haven't checked out, do they're both fantastic, fantastic comedians. You know Dane quite well, don't yeah. you, Brad? Yeah, 
I've very I, very funny man. I only know I've only known Harley's name from was he did he have a radio show? I'm yeah, just trying to he, think of how he, I how I knew him. Yeah, he did uh, Triple M radio, I think. Um, but he's, he's hosted a bunch of stuff on Channel Ten. He hosted uh, Making It last year, which is like a kind of crafty program on, on Channel Ten. Um, and headlines down here in Melbourne all the time. Yeah, cool. Um, but yeah, it, it was so much fun. So we did um, it's four nights out in kind of northwest New South Wales. So we started in a town called Nevertire, which is about an hour north of Dubbo. It's like 180 people, yeah. uh, population of the town. And it was literally just a pub on the highway. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was also such a like such a great country pub. It's run by this three sisters. If if you're ever in the area, anyone listening, go to the Nevertire Hotel. It's phenomenal. Um, but yeah, just this this pub on a highway. Um, the gig there was great. The next night, uh, we were in uh, Canamble, which is further north again. So we went to Brewarrina, which is down near Burke, and then we went to Walgett, which is where. Dane is from. Yep. Um, and then it was, it was so much fun. It was just like. So were you guys on a, yeah, like was, a was, little tour bus with like, did you rent like a bus or something? How were you getting from? No, it wasn't, it wasn't that glamorous. We were in Dane's Pajero. No, <laughs> not a, <laughs> not the glamorous tour bus. Like, yeah, I, did, um, I did picture like a huge bus, but like maybe like a little Hertz, like rent a vehicle that would fit like, I don't know, like for 10 people or something. Uh, so, so you ro- ro- rolled in the Pajero. There, there. At least it's a reliable vehicle to get you from point A to point yeah. B. Yeah. Well, we we needed it. So, like, this was yeah, end of last year, and there'd been all this um, like flooding all across like Western New South Wales. Yeah. And so we uh, one of the drive the drive from Walgett to Barrowina, uh, it's just one road, and like parts of it, the water was like up to like the top of the tires. There's like like deep water on the highway. Wow. And then we got to Barana where we were going, and like an hour after we got there, they closed the highway because it was too flooded. Fuck. So the next day, we were going back to Walgett to do the gig there that night. Uh, and what was uh, like a one-hour drive ended up taking about four because we had to like drive basically to Queensland Shocking. and then like come back down to dodge all this flood water. <laughs> and we were driving on like dirt roads through people's farms. <laughs> like, yeah, or a tour life, just like driving past a cow. Like, yeah, this is sick. That's hilarious. So, who was the biggest pest on on the tour? Uh, uh, easily the biggest test, pest uh, was Dane's dad, uh, Bo. Uh, <laughs> Good old Bo. You, Fuck, he's funny. I don't know. I don't know if you've met Bo. Bo is an absolute legend. Yeah, I've met um, him a few times at the Wagga Wagga Comedy, uh, yeah, Comedy Club. Yeah, yeah. So, um, Dane. Dane's family comes from Walgett out that way, and Dane's dad, Bo, lives in Walgett. Um, and he came with us for three nights. Um, uh, <laughs> Bo is, I love Bo so much. He's just such a menace. Like, he, he comes to Dane's gigs all the time and just sits in the crowd and just, like, heckles yeah. Dane, and it's just a pest. Only to Dane, like, very respectful to everyone else, just only heckles Dane. Yeah. Regularly will, like, get on stage and tell, like, just the most, like, heinous, Dad jokes that yeah. kill because it's it's Bo. Um, yeah, yeah the easily the biggest pest. He was with us for, for three nights. Um, 
beers being an absolute menace the whole time. Yeah, he's such good value with the little clicks and stuff that he does as well. Like yeah. He's, yeah. He's, he's a good fella. Um, yeah, probably. So, so have you have are you getting managed by anybody at the moment or is it just kind of all been off the back of, you know, yourself and um, going to these gigs and just getting to know different people? Yeah, it's been all independent thus far. Um, I hate the word networking and the concept of networking, but that's, that's entirely what it is. Um, unfortunately, like everyone, well, most people in the comedy industry are extremely nice and helpful and supportive, and if you ask for help and advice, you will absolutely get it. Yeah. Um, and like everything that I've uh, achieved or got thus far in my career has being off the back of me asking people for advice and help and them very generously and willingly giving it. Um, so yeah, it is all kind of self-motivated, but it's fortunate that largely the comedy community is supportive and helpful and willing to bring new, new acts up the ranks. Yeah, and I think I think um, if you're not a dickhead as well, like most most comedians kind of know the struggle of you know performing at an open mic night for five people with you know three mentally ill other performers and you know four other good comics. So I think that most comedians definitely know the struggle. And when, like you said, when there's you know a little bit of fresh talent and someone trying to kind of advance a little bit, you know, if you're not a dickhead, they're they're more than happy to help. Yeah. And with the um, with the outback laughs, what what was the what was your favourite venue that you performed at out of those out of those ones? I think I mean the Nevertire Hotel, this this country pub was very cool, but I think the my favourite gig was um, in Brewarrina, which is just like the RSL in Brewarrina, uh, and um, this is like kind of classic RSL with like big stage performance space, but then like in uh, a room like immediately off where we were performing was just a Chinese restaurant. Okay. <laughs> just, like in this tiny room next door. The whole room like wood paneled and then had like thick red like shag pile carpet. Yeah. And then there was just like a little hole in the wall kiosk where you could get Chinese food. It was like Honestly, I think if the gig had been in the Chinese restaurant, it would have probably been one of the best gigs I've ever done. Really? It That's was just, crazy. Yeah, it was just the wildest space. Yeah. Um, but that gig, I don't know, it was, something, it was one of those nights where just everything clicks and like the audience is on, all the performers were on, and it's, Bo was on. It was, it was great. That's awesome. Uh, it's funny that there's a Chinese restaurant in ev- every town in Australia. No matter where <laughs> you go, you'll find, you'll find a servo, yeah. a pub, and a fucking Chinese restaurant. Hundred percent. Yeah. Hundred percent. Oh man, well I'm, yeah. I'm I'm glad you had um glad you had a good time and fuck like you said, what an experience to kind of get out there with with uh with Dane and, and Harley. It would have been uh it would have been awesome, man, and, and so good just to kind of continue to get that ball rolling. Um where can where can people catch you performing this year? Are you doing any festival runs or Yeah, uh so um heading down to Adelaide to the Adelaide fringe. So uh, myself and Chris Martin, uh, we're down in Adelaide from the 1st of March till the 6th of March. The show is called Hidden Gems, the gluttony down there. Uh, then I'm doing the Canberra Comedy Festival. 
that's on the 23rd of March in Canberra with uh, our good friend Anthony Tomic, ah, very yeah. funny young man. Uh, and then I'm doing the Melbourne Comedy Festival this year, which starts on the 20, like 27th of March, I think. It runs for most of April. Uh, I'm doing a show uh, at the Comedy Festival called Comedy Zone, which uh, is organised by the festival and it's kind of showcase of... The best young um, comedians in the country, baby. Tell them. <laughs> yeah. The emerging, yeah, that's what it, that's emerging what comedians. Like yeah, so the, the festival each year puts on the show where they choose kind of five up-and-coming comics that they want to showcase, and um, I'm very fortunate to be doing that this year. So that's going to be heaps fun. It's the whole month, so it's 22 shows wow. across the month. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be hectic, but it's going to be heaps of fun. So how did how did that one all come about? How did did somebody just reach out to you, or no? Again, so that was all through through networking and asking and being helped. Um, so again, doing gigs with Dane out in Wagga uh, in the middle of last year. Um, doing gigs, uh, and the headliner was uh, Carl Donnelly, who's a British comic, very, very funny man. Uh, and he, I told him that I was moving to Melbourne, and he put me in touch with um, a venue down here called Comedy Republic, which yeah. is a fantastic comedy venue down here. If you're ever in Melbourne, definitely check out Comedy Republic. Uh, so I went to do some gigs there. The woman... Uh, who books Comedy Republic works for the festival, so I spoke to her about Comedy Zone. She put me in touch with uh, the guy who books Comedy Zone. He came down to a gig um, to see me perform, and the rest is history. But yeah, it was all just people helping out and asking, being friendly and and helpful. All through being a good cunt, mate. How good's that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and a shitload of luck. Yeah, oh, well, there's hard work that backs it, so I know you're being a touch humble there. So, but no, mate, it's it's awesome to see um see you getting some really good gigs and see you moving up, and it's exciting and uh, definitely very inspiring to know that um you know a young fella that that did comedy that started comedy uh, roughly around the same time as me is is doing so good. So, man, just uh, thank you so much for popping on the podcast. I've I've really appreciated having a chat to you. Um, would love to get you up here and performing at some of the clubs up this way. Did um, you want to let some people know your socials where where they can find you? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Instagram is the main social media outlet I use. I'm at Nick DC Shula. Um, I'm on Twitter and Facebook and stuff as well. But just find me on Instagram. Give- thanks for having me, man. It's been an absolute absolute blast. I'll definitely have to come up to Newcastle and gig and catch up. For sure, bro. Um, yeah, guys, give him, give you this great man a follow. Um, you won't be disappointed. And if, hey, if you're in Melbourne, if you're in Canberra, if you're in Adelaide, uh, go and check out his uh, shows. If you don't like it, I'll buy you a beer. But I guarantee that that won't happen. Um, yeah, as always, mate. Fuck, thank you so much for popping on. This was awesome. Um, and anything else that you want to say before we before we jump off? No, I just. You're listening, get out and support live arts, live comedy. There's never been a worse time for the arts and performing arts. So if you can, get out, have a laugh, get to a gig, buy some beers, have a good time. Fuck yeah. All right. And aside from that, just chill to the next episode, you bunch of animals.
smoke weed every day.